so far my secret seems to be hoard all the first basemen. So. Well, then it's, it seems to be working out well because, you know, you need more than one when your main first baseman breaks his ankle dropping pig shit out into the... <laughs> into yeah, exactly. The so, yeah. Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and get all of their secrets. And then, of course, I cut all of those out so only I can use them to win more. I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I am sitting down with Vic Kaleka, who, as everyone knows, was at one time the Chicago Black Sox general manager, but is now the assistant to almost the assistant to the assistant to someone who might be the general manager of the California Crusaders. Welcome here, uh, Vic. I appreciate that, no matter what your position title is. Thanks for uh, spending some time with me here today. Oh, you bet, Ron. It's uh, good to be out of the uh, Coker Schmelz uh, office uh, <laughs> waiting room. Yeah, the, the move from the Chicago sludgy area into the California sunlight has got to be like a breath of fresh air for you. Oh, I tell you, nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> and getting out from under that Vinny Vitala has got to be, um, got oh, to be okay. something special. Vinny's, a, Vinny's something else, that's for sure. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about that uh, as we go. Uh, let me, uh, did I pronounce your last name correctly, Kaleka? It's uh, Kaleka, yes. Kaleka. Well, I, then maybe I pronounced it wrong the first time and right the second time. I'll pronounce it multiple hey, ways. You know, the odd thing about our family is that, like, uh, different wings pronounce it different ways. My dad always pronounced it Kaleka. My, uh, my uncle always pronounced it Kaleka, so, you know. Just, uh, you know, so long as it's in the ballpark, that's uh, great. <laughs> Just don't call me late for dinner, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, maybe give me a, uh, a little bit of a background on, on, who, uh, on who Vic is. Uh, I know you're uh, a journalist by profession and retired now. How did you get into journalism and just how did that all work out? Oh, well, you know, that, that actually started back in, in high school. I was... Uh, Actually started out. Uh, my big extracurricular was uh, I played on the football team, uh, and I was you know really a miserable football player. But uh, one of my, uh, in fact, actually uh, I used to get put in one-on-one drills with a guy who ended up getting a full ride to the University of Wisconsin as a fullback. So they would put me in these nutcracker drills where he would just like basically launch. And uh, I would, uh, he'd just pound me into the turf. So I got to the point where I basically just did the matador and let him through. And uh, so at that point, I found myself on the bench pretty much. Uh, But uh, one of my English teachers came to me and said, you know, you uh, you ought to consider uh, 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 signing up for the uh, school newspaper, which... uh, which I did and uh, just found I absolutely loved it and... uh, Senior year, I was uh, editor of the uh, of the high school paper and uh, ended up going to uh, uh, Northwestern uh, Medill School of Journalism for uh, for college. Uh, worked on the uh, student paper there. Uh, got a couple of internships in uh, Lafayette, Indiana, at the Journal and Courier. And uh, when I worked, when I graduated, I went to work for a small paper in uh, the suburbs of Chicago called the Elgin Daily Courier News, worked there for a year, and then went to the Indy Star and worked there for basically 28 years, doing everything from police beat to the 
science and medical beat to city editor to assistant managing editor and uh, it was a it was a great career lot, lots of fun and uh, you know when I uh, when I finally retired uh, boy things seemed really quiet <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sure all the uh, the whole uh, uh, world of journalism is all about uh, pulse and moving forward and hitting deadlines and in getting editions oh, yeah. out, so that's a that's quite a big shift. Yeah. What were your favorite and uh, call them least favorite parts of of your uh, of that role? Those. Well, uh, actually, I liked. I, I really enjoyed. Uh, we had something called the state desk, and I was a general assignment uh, writer on the state desk, which meant uh, you could cover basically anything that interested you outside of the Indianapolis metro area, which was like, you know, basically you had the entire state uh, as your uh, as your playground. And, uh, you know, so I covered everything from, uh, you know, plane crashes to uh, uh, a, a guy at Ball State University who had a uh, kind of a wacky theory on, on uh, these Indian mounds in a state park called Mound State, uh, Mound state Park that he... Uh, he was convinced wasn't like a burial mound, but it was actually an observatory keeping track of the stars above. So I, I spent about a week and a half with him, and that was just utterly fascinating. I think he's probably a little nuts, but it was uh, it was really interesting to hang out with a, uh, a professional archaeologist for uh, for a while. Well, I can't imagine from from your writing on the forum. I can't imagine that you like the offbeat, weird, unique <laughs> kind of yeah. uh, kind of stories. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I will say that uh, of all the stuff I remember, that's the stuff, kind of stuff that comes to mind. So, oh, sure, and that makes uh, that makes total sense. Um, it's interesting to hear your conversation about you know Northwestern and Lafayette and Indianapolis. It sounds, I mean, we had very similar um, stomping grounds. I spent most of my growing up time actually in Louisville, Kentucky, but I uh, worked in Indianapolis for about nine years. Uh, my Dad and my daughter are Purdue graduates. I spent a lot of time in Lafayette. Uh, we absolutely adore Chicago, and I've um, had some things going on at Northwestern University. So, I mean, there's I, I am 100% certain that I have, have read or been impacted by your work in the Indianapolis Star. <laughs> well, well, I apologize for that. So. <laughs> well, well, we'll just have to get you back by making you suffer through more BBA stuff. Well, the BBA, as uh, uh, Chicago has shown, is... Uh... Certainly a, a breeding ground for suffering. So and, and oddly resilient. <laughs> it can, <laughs> yeah. can deal with, with people like us and still charge on for seventy years. That's um yeah, that, exactly that something. Maybe talk to me a little bit about uh how you found out of the park and how you found the Brewster and um and just kind of background with the game itself. Okay. Well, uh, actually, out of the park, you know, I, I've, I've done baseball simulations, you know, from board games to computer games uh, uh, pretty much, you know, since I was a kid, you know, starting with APA and uh, but basically all these kind of historical simulations. Uh, and it was really more a, uh, I, I've been on kind of a, a never ending quest to right the wrong of 1969 and see if I can get the Cubs to the World Series uh, in 69. And uh, I have, I don't know how many uh, simulations uh, I've done of them and have never, ever gotten them to the series. Uh, so uh, there is, but of at course, rate, absolute so that, poetic justice around that. <laughs> so that was my, uh, my I, 
I, I can't remember what number it was, but it was in the single digits. It was a fairly early incarnation of OOTP. And I, I played it quite a bit, but mostly just, you know, historical simulations uh, uh, here and there. And, uh, I, you know, it, after a while, that, it just got kind of boring. Uh, and uh, it was uh, kind of looking on the forums one day and, and saw uh, the uh, uh, actually saw an ad for, uh, for PIBA. Which was, uh, you know, obviously as you well know, a fictional uh, league, and I, I uh, applied for a uh, franchise there and got in. And uh, as I, uh, and I'm still a member of PIBA, uh, but uh, the, uh, yeah, I kept hearing about this uh, this crazy uh, other league called the Brewster, and uh, kind of went looking for uh, for it online and found it. And uh, I got to say, you know, the uh, just the the rich wealth of history uh, uh, of the league was just uh, kind of a uh, an irresistible magnet because uh, what I really like about the fictional leagues is you know you sort of you sort of build this little universe around you and uh, you know you can kind of make of it what you will but on the other hand the game helps you drive the narrative so yeah you know, that was just irresistible so uh you know, I uh, applied for a spot and, uh, and and ended up in Mumbai uh, in the Umiba. <laughs> and uh, the great, the absolute great thing about Mumbai was at that point, no one had written any TNs for it. It was just a an empty TN queue. And uh, yep. I thought, this this is heaven. <laughs> so I just <laughs> dove in and just started writing all this silly junk, basically. But uh, well, yeah. Well, I think that's it's, that. That part is interesting because um, I can remember before Out of the Park, you know, before I mean, similar. I played all these weird uh, board games and baseball simulations with dice and all, yeah. you know, whatever. And then I read this book that I thought was the greatest book that had ever been written, and it was the book by was it Daniel Okrent was the guy who wrote the first rotisserie. Oh yeah, book, yeah, right. Great. And the thing that I loved about it was not the aspect of owning baseball players and stuff. The thing that I loved about that book was the way that they wrote about their teams as if they were like real standalone teams with grudges against each other and all that other good stuff. So I've always been drawn to the fundamental aspect of the fictional thing. When we I, I managed our first major rotisserie league, which... Uh, current Jacksonville GM Greg Greathouse was a part of that because oh. um, we used to work together way back in the in the old days of, at Indianapolis but you know and the main thing was I mean we, we did all the rotisserie league stuff but we wrote our individual team newsletters that I distributed every week with the stats and <laughs> yeah that's awesome complaining at each other and you know all those sorts of good stuff so I actually read that book, the rotisserie book, and I was struck by the same thing. I just love the idea of like all these, you know, sort of, uh, you know, rival, you know, <laughs> rivalries across years and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the history of the franchises. And, you know, it was just the whole thing was just uh, was just neat. Given that you like that kind of big picture or whatnot. Um, when you came into both the PIBA and the BBA, uh, I'm interested in this uh, question. Coming into the league, you know, it can be fairly daunting, I think, for a person to come into a league with 60 and 70 years of, of history. And PIBA is similar in this sense in these days because now they've been around for 20 or 30 years right. Of, of seasons, right? 
What did you find, what was your experience like in the process of coming into both of those leagues, and was there a difference? Uh, well, the, the, kind of yes and no. I mean, PIBA was interesting because uh, I, I took over the, the Scottish uh, franchise, which uh, I think had been in, the, it, it had a, a background in, in one of their offshoot league, their offshoot league, their uh, Japanese league. But no one had written much about them. There, I mean, as I went back, you know, like the, their, their, Team Q was pretty empty, and uh, uh, you know, going back, you had to really dig to find out anything about them. So, uh, to me, that was kind of nice because it was essentially a blank slate, you know. And you again, you could kind of make the per- team personality what you wanted. When I came into the Brewster, you know, it was this was I think maybe the second or third season of Yumiba, but it was, I mean, it was essentially Brett and me uh, for. Uh, and then uh, a number of the other franchises were owned were being kind of babysat by BBA uh, GMs. But you know there were again there wasn't a whole lot being written, and you know that was kind of like having the whole league as your playground in a way. So you know I, I thought it was fun trying to go back and find out uh, you know like who won the first All Star game and and that all that kind of uh, that kind of nuttiness. And uh, so I, I went through. I don't know, maybe two thirds or three quarters of that Yamiba season before I got tapped to, to join the BBA. And uh, I, I kind of had to think long and hard about leaving Mumbai because I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, and I was winning enough at that point that it was really, I was in first place for quite a bit of that season, <laughs> which I think was just driving Brett bananas, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> so. So at any rate, yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for that. I think that the yeah. uh, that the joy of winning in a online league is um, accentuated and augmented over the joy of winning in a solo league because your 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 ability to deal with the personalities of the other GMs and the in the league as a whole. Yeah. So. Um, nothing nothing is better than having a a, a set of rival of gentlemanly rivalries yeah, exactly as far as that goes the the bba itself is a little bit of a different animal because you know I, I came in in kind of odd circumstances when kyle stepped away and uh mid-season and i think some people were kind of un, unhappy that that matt accepted his resignation as quickly as he did and gave the team to me so there was a little bit of blowback on uh on that. So, I mean, I, I actually sent an email to, to Kyle and told him, you know, I'm not going to touch the team for a couple of days here. And if you decide you want to come back, that's cool. Uh, so, you know, he sent he was very nice, sent me an email and said, nope, go ahead. Just have your will, have your way with it. Uh, and so, you know, I did. I, I have at this point, I think he'd <laughs> probably be amazed that it's no longer in Huntsville. It's uh, no longer emphasizes left-handed hitters. Uh, all the stuff he had built up, I kind of uh, stripped away and tried to put my own stamp on it. Uh, and I think that was wise. Anytime you come into an established situation under some duress, it's probably wise to take a few days of decompression time and just let things settle. But eventually you do have to kind of take charge. And, you know, the conversation I had with Doug in a, in one of our earlier uh, GM's corners is you know at some point you have to take the team and make it yours otherwise it's no fun. <laughs> yeah, well you know the, and uh, Huntsville had such an established reputation uh, you know with the uh, with the left-handed hitting and the short 
uh, right field porch and all that. I thought, well, you know, maybe I can run with this. And but you know, I, I just I wasn't having fun, uh, and I couldn't I couldn't quite understand. You know, I mean, I'm fairly new. I'm very new to uh, uh, competitive OTP, so a lot of what he had done I could, couldn't quite figure out. Uh, and I couldn't really couldn't figure out the pitching staff. So I, I just thought, you know, maybe the best thing to do would be, uh, you know, just kind of kick back, think about what I want to do with the team and, uh, uh, you know, go with that. Uh, and of course, I, I made, uh, you know, I made more than a few missteps along the way. But even those have been, you know, kind of learning experiences. And uh, to me, the most fun of it is writing about it anyway. So even something disastrous like you know the uh, the Pavel Bure tra- trade uh, early on was uh, I mean at first I was just kind of like oh my god what did I just do and but then I thought like well you know let's let's have fun with it and uh, what would the radio call-in shows the next morning be after uh, be like after a trade like that so that was oh, a, yeah without a doubt that was kind of fun yeah that's I, I think. That is a, always a silver lining of the BBA cloud is that, you know, if, if you take a gamble and something doesn't work out, um, it was actually quite a bit of fun for me when I came into the league in 2020. I think I was general managing Yellow Springs 9 for the last, like, three games of the 2024 season. Yeah. So I came in and things were in kind of a of a crumbling uh, rubble, but I was set up for a, a, a flow, right? right? Because the guy before me had uh, essentially tanked in the most egregious way possible, which is why he lost his team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was set up with some bullets, but I was also set up with some really crappy players for a couple of years. And so it was quite a bit of fun to write stories about these guys who just were kind of misfits and nobodies and, and so forth. Um, so when things go wrong, you know, I throw my assistant general manager under the bus and I'll yell at my managers and I'll do all sorts of good stuff. And of course, losing in the land has become its own genre for me. Now. So, yeah. So talk to me, uh, talk to me about Vinny. How did Vinny come about? Well, <laughs> that was, uh, originally I thought, uh, well, I was kind of thinking like I, I basically need the, the owner ownership in Huntsville wasn't particularly, uh, forthcoming with the budget. So I thought, well, I'll take advantage of the uh, participation point uh, rewards here and go with a new owner. But I thought, uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure whether Matt would really want the franchise to move at that point. But I thought even if he doesn't, it would be really fun to have a guy from Chicago come in by the team and be constantly threatening to move it. And then, you know, what would the what would the city be like? And, you know, how would the players react? And and then uh, so I, I kind of in my head I see Vinny as sort of a cross of like Vince Vaughn and and Joe Pesci, and sort of a, a you know kind of looks a little forbidding, but he's you know kind of a clown you know until he's not. <laughs> and uh, so there you go. Uh, and yeah, you know, I kind of do everything through that prism, like you know, like he can't remember anybody's name until you're a threat, and then he knows your name. Exactly. Once it, once it becomes important. <laughs> well, I'm having a great time bouncing back and forth and raising the stakes on each of the different, uh, uh, of, of the whole Operation oh, yeah, Blueprint, yeah. Thriller, Big Shit, Benny, Heidi. Um, yeah. um, I, I, that's, that's a great deal of fun for me right now. I'm, I, I hope I'm not stepping on too many oh, no, toes no, at that, that point. Oh, no, no, that's actually been a blast because uh, the uh, – 
actually ended up having having me resign as GM because I couldn't imagine like how I would have the sort of conversation I had with Vinny and keep my job. So I thought, <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know if this is a, I assume it's been done in the past because pretty much everything's been done in the BBA. But thought, well, I'll just uh, I'll step away and he'll bring in his da- his daughter in law. But it turns out. Uh, I, I sort of see her. Uh, I think Heidi's become kind of a superhero in a way. You know, she's she's uh, sort of the uh, Batwoman or Batgirl. I, I see Heidi as like a super. I, I see uh, not Heidi. I, I see Benny as kind of a supervillain. She's you know very precise, mm-hmm. very calculating, and uh, oh, you yeah. know she's uh, you know doesn't take any uh, any guff off Benny. And uh, you know, and uh, I. I don't know if you've seen this my uh, my response to your uh, latest, but uh, you know she was well aware of the bobblehead in the uh, in the drawer and checked period. Yep, I'm I'm letting that so, settle. Uh, that, that's, yeah, I, I think I she'll that. be. Uh, I, I hope they'll be uh, they'll be worthy adversaries. <laughs> yep, that's uh, I, I, as soon as she came on the scene, I was going, okay, now there is a there is something I need to work with. I'm not sure how to work with it yet, but that is a that is an adversary <laughs> yeah. of work. Because <laughs> I sort of saw myself as kind of a bumbling, you know, well-meaning, but you know, sort of just way over my head, you know, which is reflects reality. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you know, I, I see Benny as being like a lot more self-assured, and uh, even if she's totally wrong, she's not going to let on that she's wrong. So, no, oh, of course. Well, and she's not really totally wrong in many yeah, places yeah. so far. So, so. I, I think uh, you know, but but I think Vin, Benny's just going to be uh, increasingly uh, annoyed. <laughs> so that'll be fun. <laughs> well, that'll be good. Alrighty, well let me uh, let me uh, do our traditional lightning round here. I'm going to throw you in the corner and strap you down and, and shine the bright lights in your eyes, and and we'll we'll make this really super snappy conversation that oftentimes doesn't become too super snappy. But I got a couple right. questions to ask you. Uh, OOTP history. What is your very best moment using OOTP? First uh, thing that comes to your mind. First thing that came to my mind was I did get the the Cubs in a 1969 replay to within two and a half of first uh, at one point, and uh, then they fell back. But uh, I remember thinking, you know, maybe I should just stop the replay here <laughs> and take a screenshot and... Uh, kind of like real life, if they would have just stopped the replay oh, at the first of August. Yeah. <laughs> That's still like one of the really tragic moments of my life that, uh, that season. Favorite real-life broadcaster? Favorite real-life broadcaster? Well, uh, that... I mean, I'm tempted to say Harry Carey, but in reality, I grew up with Jack Brickhouse, uh, and uh, you know the back, 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 hey, hey, and uh, that, <laughs> and Ernie Banks running the bases. and Ernie Banks running the bases, <laughs> and you know, well, running. I think it's probably being charitable to Ernie at the point that I was watching him, but uh, he, uh, you know, Brickhouse is sort of the soundtrack to my life. So, favorite thing about the out of the park game. Uh, I I really enjoy the uh, I, I you know obviously the simulation is is you know kind of is very detailed and spot on. I like the things they put in like the uh, you know the, the the clubhouse morale and all the little things that sort of bring personality to the game. Uh, and you know that that just sort of helps me kind of riff on like well you know what's what's this guy like uh you know and uh you know the 
dreaded disruptive personalities. Like, well, what would they do that would be so horrible? So uh, I had a, had a guy at one point who was, uh, you know, putting uh, putting tuna fish sandwiches in a locker and leaving them for days. And uh, so, so the, so the uh, clubhouse would just smell horrendous. It, it did that in the Huntsville, uh, one of my Huntsville TNs. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, that sort of stuff is just fun. Uh, best player in the game today, BBA first and then MLB. Ooh, BBA first. Uh I mean, the guy I really wish I had is the uh, guy. The uh, God, I can't remember his name. The the the, the Russian pitcher for uh, Danya Danya Chekhanov. He is <laughs> he is formidable, uh, and I keep running up against him and getting crushed. So uh, I w- I would put him on my list. In the I mean, Trout in the uh, in, in real life is uh, is unbelievable. And uh, a couple of years ago, I might have put Bryant in the conversation, but uh, he's kind of uh, he's dropped off a bit. So uh, I think Trout's still yeah. probably the uh, the guy. I don't think Bryant is quite the pure natural athlete that Trout is. No, uh, no, that that's for sure. Certainly not fluid yeah. in the field. So and maybe Mookie Betts is in that category somewhere. Mookie, but, Mookie's uh, pretty uh, pretty amazing too. Favorite Chicago Cub memory? Uh well, my. Well, it, for me, I've already talked about the worst case. Okay. <laughs> well, for me, it's a very personal memory, and it didn't even happen in the season. Uh, it was uh, I was a uh, senior year in college, and I just on a flyer uh, put in a, a request to the uh, the Cubs front office to interview Ernie Banks, and uh, they uh, they came back like that afternoon and said, "Sure, come on down to Wrigley Field. He'll meet you." And uh, so I, uh, uh, you know, went down, uh, you know, went to the entrance and Ernie Banks was there meeting me in person, uh, took me out to the uh, to the stands. We sat down the, uh, the third baseline. We were in the in the uh, uh, kind of you know real close to the field. And, uh, you know, so I you know asked all my questions. And then when we were done, like an hour later, he said, want to come out in the field? <laughs> oh my. And so he uh, he took me out. We went out to the uh Went out to the uh, pitcher's mound and uh, he uh, talked about facing Bob Gibson. Uh, oh my goodness! Said that was the only time that he really got nervous was because he said Bob was just uh, he was a great pitcher and also just a mean sob. Yeah. <laughs> as as a few of them were in the day, but but Gibson obviously <laughs> has the uh, biggest reputation. Yeah, and then uh, then he walked. You know, we walked around the outfield. I touched the ivy. Uh, that was just an incredible afternoon, and uh, I got to say, I mean, you know, he was my boyhood hero growing up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, and uh, you know, I, I just thought he was—he uh, you know, couldn't have been more gracious or uh, or more, uh, you know, forthcoming or just uh, you know more Mister Cub <laughs> that afternoon. <laughs> oh, there you go. So he, uh, you know, kind of uh, a lot of times you you meet your boyhood heroes, and it's kind of a letdown, and it was anything but with Ernie. Well, you have survived the lightning round, so congratulations for that. It is traditional that I that I uh, turn the tables and allow you to put me in your own form of lightning round for a moment. If you have any questions that you would like me to, or anything you'd like me to talk about, I'm happy to do so. Otherwise, okay. we can just skip right over that. <laughs> well, well, I, I'm actually well because I'm I'm kind of running my own little private science experiment in my uh, in my minor leagues at this point with the coaches. Mm-hmm. I, I just uh, 
curious what you think the actual worth of the uh, coaching is in OOTP, how big an effect it has, and if you like build up like their teach hitting or teach pitching ratings, does that do anything, do you think, or is, uh, is it all just artifice? Um, I think that they do something. Uh, the $64 million question is how much, and I think yeah, probably yeah. not a ton, but I think that they do a little bit. Um, I can say that I have, um, throughout my different years of working with OTP in trying to essentially reverse engineer the game, right? That's, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a software guy, engineer, systems engineer guy by background and thought. And um, so I, I love this out-of-the-park game because it, it uh, satisfies all of my techie and baseball sabermetric uh, side as well as my fiction writer's side, right? So I can bring any of those three things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very hard to design a good experiment to test what a manager does and what a coach does and, and so forth. Um, I was able to do that a little bit with trainers because the result of injuries are actually fairly easy to extract and, and track. It's very hard to extract and track development, <laughs> Right, ratings right. progression and talent progression, which is really what you're asking. Do managers make a difference, right? Um, or do coaches make a difference in the training and development, and do managers make a difference in their decisions during the game? Right, right, right. Um, you know, I've recently come to the conclusion that trainers do make a small but definable difference in injuries. Right. Uh, I can't really figure out how to test coaches but it seems logical that they would, especially because I have been able to test managers to a degree. Um, and, um, you know, I, I believe that a very solid, good manager makes a game or two's difference. Right. But I can't tell you exactly which of the traits of a manager make a individual difference or whether you have to roll them all together or, you know, it's just a big cloudy mess. Right, as far yeah, as right. it goes. But it does, uh, when I do some testing, it does feel like managers actually do make a difference, but it's again, very tiny. Trainers do make a difference, but again, it's very tiny. So it just seems, uh, it would be unwise to think that coaches don't make any difference. Right. right, right. Now the big question is if you're going to spend, are you going to spend a million dollars on a coach versus Somebody else who spends 200K, I don't know if that 800K difference is enough. If you could use that 800K somewhere else, uh, maybe that would be better. But that's the beauty and the joy of the game. I mean, if you actually knew all the, all the answers, what fun would that be? I, yeah, I just like so to know the arrow is pointing in a certain direction, and then you and I can disagree about how hard it points. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well... I, I guess my, you know, what the, I guess the way I've come to think of it is, you know, I don't spend money on the coaches, but I do spend the uh, participation points uh, with the with the thought that uh, I mean, my, my my hope, I guess, is that if you've got like a, a pitching coach that's been bumped and you've got like a, a guy with, uh, say, a stuck curveball, that maybe that would make a difference in unsticking it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and I don't know that that's true, but, uh, you know, that's my hope at this point. So Yeah, and it could well be. I, I don't know that it's true either. Uh, but I like, uh, one of the things that I like about the participation point system myself 
And obviously, I've been a major partaker of it until you have started to overcome me. I need to up my game, Vic. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things that I like about it is it fits into the context of the fictional world, right? Um, I know that as as a general manager, when I'm spending uh, uh, my PPT on different things, I am doing my very best. I'm doing everything that I can do as a general manager. You know, and I almost look at that as if I'm spending points on a guy to send him to school to get more intelligent, it's like me calling him into the office and having a sit down with him and saying, hey, guy, I really believe in you. I really want you to work hard on this. I think you've got a great career, kid. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Because I can't do that in Out of the Park today in real life. I can't have a conversation with my players. But So this is the only way that I can, can make that happen in my own brain, right? Right. Well, see, to me, that you know, that helps with the immersion, right? Because yeah. you can, uh, you can, uh, you know, if, if somebody's like loafing in real life, you wouldn't just sit there and let them loaf for their whole career. I mean, you'd call them in and say, you know, hey, buddy, get going. Yeah. Uh, which is so you can work on their work ethic or or whatever. And to me, that just it it makes you feel like a little bit more like you know you you've got a real team of real guys that you're you know trying to help mold and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I really like that uh, that aspect of it. And whether any of that really makes a huge difference in how your team performs, I don't know. But uh, but it but it sure is fun to speculate about. <laughs> right, and the fact that there are two or three things that I can point to that I can be relatively certain that do make a difference, even if they're not very big, means that I can then translate that and say, well, clearly it must make some kind of difference, so therefore what I'm doing is good. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than just being stupid and silly and making my own stuff up. But, but that may be, it could well be that, uh, you know, work ethic may not actually change the development curves whatsoever. I, I can't tell. But as long as I hold out the idea of hope that it occurs, uh, then I can not only uh, then I can can justify it in the gameplay as well as then translate it into um, into the fiction piece as and more importantly into my heart and soul about uh, about this guy you know yeah well you know we, we we all need our delusions Ron and that's you know that, that's why I persist in thinking the uh, Black Sox can win with you know four first basemen so uh, you know I, I think that's kind of the beauty of the game you can uh, exactly. Um, so where do you where do you see uh, Vic going as the assistant to the assistant to the almost <laughs> assistant to the assistant to the general manager of California? What's the career path for Vic Kaleka from this point on? I, you know, I I don't know. I've, I've, I had sort of thought that. Well, my original feeling was that you know he would go off like and have a be- you know kind of sit on a beach with you know the two former managers who resigned in a huff uh, over meeting at the Days Inn. Then, uh, but but then Doug hired me. So uh, I uh, at this point, uh, you know, I guess I had thought eventually I'd come back, but now I'm not so sure. I think you know, Benny might carve a longer career than I thought, and you know, uh, I'm not sure Vinny would bring Vic back at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll see if Heidi has anything to say about how long Benny can stick around. That'll yeah, be, uh, well, you know, that'll be fun. I, and I'm sure you've noticed the the seeds to Benny's destruction have been sown. So <laughs> if she can avoid them, though. You never know. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, you know, she's, super villains are really. super villains are super for you know for reasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there are certain ebbs and flows to everything. So yeah, well, so, I think yeah. 
in my mind at least, she's pretty formidable. So we'll see. Oh, how yes, definitely. And um, yeah, when when I saw that you had uh, had resigned and and gone off, I had some initial ideas of how how I might twist that. But then when Doug hired you, I went, "No, oh, no, that's way better." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then the uh, cross the cross pollination with the coke. The uh, Coker Schmelz group has just been priceless. Uh, exactly, and uh, Doug's uh, Doug's green-eyed woman uh, is uh, fascinating to me too. I want to try to work uh, to work that in. All the Coker Schmelz groups, uh, you know, top uh, G, uh, top uh, top officials have bright green eyes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a it's a comic book science fictional world. So it is indeed. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. Uh, that was uh, that was one of your descriptions of it, and that that's perfect. It's a it's a comic book world. Yep, because it can't be exactly like ours. It's oh. there's, there's too many odd little weird things in there. But as soon as you shift your mind into this comic book, and suddenly I'm back in the I'm back in my uncle's old comic book boxes and pulling out you know yeah. the latest soap opera that Iron Man is going through or whatever. So oh yeah, like well, I grew <laughs> up on the Fantastic Four, so that was oh, nothing. Yeah. Not comic book soap opera. Exactly. 100%. All righty. Well, uh, anything else that you would like to touch on before we, uh, before we call this episode a day? Well, I guess the, uh, the only thing I would say is at this point, I am like uh, thoroughly annoyed with my big league team. Uh, so I'm uh, pretty much spending all, lavishing all of my attention on my minor leagues. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the the Black Sox are uh, are just uh, they're killing me at this point. So uh. <laughs> that's what that's what your uh, BBA team is completely geared for. It kills everyone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they just uh, oh my god! You know, I, you you build uh, something you you build a uh, you build a pitching staff you think is going to work, and then my uh, last year's pitcher of the year. I called up as Pepe uh, Jaramillo's uh, a projection is to go zero and twenty seven this year. So, but you know, that's just fabulous. <laughs> and actually, at this point, I hope he makes it because that would just be fantastic. <laughs> that would be that would be quite the storyline. It would be. <laughs> it's all grist for the mill at this point. Well, I appreciate your time here this afternoon, and uh, we'll have to do this again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this was great. Thanks very much, Ron. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, and always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points. <laughs>